HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing, taking place on Saturday, June 18th at Nettle Meadow Farm. For more information, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, June 20th, and it's finally summer in New York City. Hot down, summer in the city. <laughs> Back of my neck is already dirty and gritty. You started really low Hit on those that. low notes, I'm girl. trying. <laughs> I was a second alto in high school. Anyway, I'm one of your hosts. Hello, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find me at wordsfoodart.com. I'm 34 straight and single. And I'm your other host, Ben Rosenblatt. I am a space pirate and dream interpreter. You're a dream interpreter. I feel like we should scrap everything else we were going to say today and riff off that for a while. Go for it. Tell me your dreams. I don't want to tell you my dreams. <laughs> oh, God. Did you have a nightmare? I have very dark dreams. Oh, dear Lord. Well, I am 33 straight and still single. technically single. I think right now. I don't think we could get into that today either. But I feel like we need to block out a, a week to talk about oh, that. God. All right. God. Anyway, later in the show, we are going to be joined by author Ina Yaloff, whose newest book, Food and the City, tracks New York's professional chefs, restaurateurs, line cooks, street vendors, and purveyors talking about what they do and why they do it. Yes. But first... Benjamin? Well, we want to just quickly talk about a restaurant that... Yeah. I figured since Ina's book covers so many different restaurants and street cars and things like that in the city, uh, street food and things like that, let's just each share quickly a restaurant where we've never been to before that we're psyched to go to this summer. So I will share first since Ben's got a deer in the I didn't know we had to never be there before. Oh, well, yeah. I might have mentioned that. Maybe I didn't. But anyway, so I've got actually two and they're sort of like shameless self-promotion as well because I just recently worked with both of them. The first is uh, Joe and Mrs. Doe. It's at 45 East 1st Street. Uh, Joe and Jill Tobias. They're just an adorable couple and their food looks amazing. It's like a $45 prefix, like 
three to five course prefix. I forget what it is. But the space is really adorable. It's small. It's intimate. They are so friendly. It's very, like, family-run um, Ani's first street, so definitely want to get there. And then the other is the Eddy, which is on 342 East 6th Street. They've just passed their two-year mark. And I interviewed Chef Brendan McHale over the phone for uh, my column. And it's, like, just really good fish and protein and vegetables. And it looks amazing and refreshing. So both of those, there's some extended... Uh, coverage of my interviews that were on the Village Voice on my website, wordsfoodart.com. I really enjoyed my time with both of them. And yeah, so this summer, those are the two top on my list. Awesome. Well, I'm a rebel and I did the exercise completely <laughs> wrong because fuck you. Um, I am going to... That's it, you're fired. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't you? Never leave me, please. See ya. <laughs> never leave um, me. No, I chose a place that I've been to many times and probably many New Yorkers have been to several, several times, but I bet I'm, I've never interested there. I'm a little afraid. I'm interested in going there for a new reason. Ooh. I'm talking about the Bohemian Beer Hall oh, yeah, in, in, in Astoria, Queens, yeah. which is like a beautiful, for those of you who don't know, a beautiful outdoor uh, beer garden um, that just sells like delicious beers um, okay. by like the liter and or by like the two liter by the bootful um a very long time ago when i lived by there an ex-boyfriend of mine ordered head cheese not knowing what it was thinking it was cheese and it was funny oh yeah but they have this new thing going on there called silent disco have you heard of this Oh, where you like put on headphones you, uh, there's and like three different so. djs and you put on headphones and you can like change the channel to whatever dj you want to listen to and like you are like rocking out dancing hard and like singing along to the music but no one other than the people who've got the headphones You're on can hear it what come on <laughs> that doesn't sound awesome that to you sound, that sounds awesome to me ben awesome to me. <sighs> you know what the Jacqueline who I went to college with would have loved that idea. That Jacqueline went to college like 15 years ago now. I think she, it's been a while. It's been a while. Well, listen, if you can't party anymore, then whatever, then wh- dude. <laughs> then what, Ben? Then what? Where are you going with that? Then I guess I'll have to go by myself and or report back. The, the, the woman that you're dating. I know. We are going to go. Yeah. Good. Good. So. All right. Well, check those. Uh, if you guys have gone to those three places, uh, check them out and let us know. Cool. You, you know how to find us. For those of you who do know how to find us and follow Jacqueline on uh, the interwebs, you mm-hmm. may have read about uh, the 40-day social media and dating app cleanse that she is about to embark on. I'm so excited. Do you want to just like... Yeah, like a couple days ago, I, <laughs> I've i done this before, where I was like, Ben, I'm off I'm off dating apps for the rest of the summer. I, I just, was like, yeah, I've heard this before. You'll be back in like three days. Exactly. So, I was, so that's where it started. And then over this weekend, I just realized how exhausted I am from social media in general, from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just after, um, just between all the election stuff and after the Pulse shootings last weekend, there, it bring, the internet brings out the best in us and I think the worst in us. And just since I'm a writer, I work from home, I have a lot of time on the computer. There are so many ways for me to be on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and swiping on dating apps. And it's making me feel really disconnected with myself and with people. And so after we texted the other day, I just decided that I was going to stop. And then I was like, oh, I'll do it for the month of July. And then I was like, that's so far away. And then I realized that if I talked about it on the show today and started tomorrow, it'd be 40 days through August, uh, the, through to August. And I was like, oh, that's so literary. It's your own biblical. personal Lent. I'm like, Jesus. So I was like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> if you just don't let anyone pull that I'm quote. A circa, don't let anyone pull that. 21st century Jesus. <laughs> Basically, this is how the sacrifice I'm making. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, obviously, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, I'm starting it tomorrow and I've already started setting up how I'm going to get through the next 40 days without social media. 
Amazing. I'm excited and nervous. Nervous. I, you know, it's interesting because, like, as a freelancer, myself, as an actor, someone who also could be using social media better, like, you're so amazing at it. You are so good Thank at, like, you. being on your Instagram and being on your Facebook and your Twitter and, like, really disciplined in that regard, and I'm not. Is there a part of you that's going to feel like you're slacking off a little bit well here's the thing so i will still be posting work pieces when they're published and stuff i if you guys didn't know i do all of our social media on facebook instagram and twitter for the radio show so uh there's this thing called hootsuite which you know i taught you how to use and it makes it really easy to schedule out posts so i can go on hootsuite and even today i like did added facebook to it for both my writer's page and for the radio show so that i can schedule tweets and facebook posts when pieces of mine are published and then for the radio show that means i can i don't i won't do anything for personal reasons i will not do like oh i just read this and it's great and share it but if a piece of mine gets posted i can schedule a tweet and schedule mostly a facebook post for my writer's page and then for the radio show i can continue doing that without having to go onto those pages um then i just won't instagram for the month too so i can still the work aspect of it will be at least information will be going up because that's how I have that's how I make money is like people reading my pieces totally. and being able to like get editors to you know to pay me for pieces so that will happen but no interaction no replying to people I don't have the feed on on Hootsuite I won't be able to see anything other than that there will be nothing I mean I almost am like there's no way you're going to be able to do this without cheating because I, I, mean, I feel like we are. This is why all... I'm doing the 40 day thing because I have crazy discipline when I do things like this, but I don't, I can't just be like, Oh, I won't go on Facebook for a while because then I'll be going on Facebook. That's why I keep going back with a dating you app. Gave thing. yourself a deadline. I give myself, a, I can do anything for 40 days. Well, not maybe not anything, wow. but you know what I mean? I challenge you to, to do what? Ooh, what would you? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, to anyway, anyway, yeah, right. anyway. So for, yeah, so for 40 days I can be disciplined enough to do this and I'm embracing I know it's going to feel I'm going. I'm doing a lot of traveling. I won't be able to be bored in an airport and scrolling through Facebook. I mean, what and are you going to do people. when the impulse comes to I'm gonna check? Face it. I'm going to face it. If it's because I'm lonely because I don't feel well, then I'm going to be like, all right, it sucks. You're lonely. So go meditate or go talk to your roommate. I was so sick last week and I was still so embarrassed and too shy to like just tell my roommate how badly I was feeling. I didn't connect with her because of how embarrassed and shy and vulnerable I was feeling if I don't have anybody if I don't have like a fallback way to soothe myself from still seeing people at a distance then I'm gonna have to see people like as far as the dating thing I'm gonna have to you know I'll people watch and I'll talk to people more and I'll read more I think I'm just gonna save time too I'll get to read more and I'll you know pay attention when I'm walking my dog like there's there's plenty of stuff to do at the end of the piece that you wrote Today. Oh yeah, so, so listeners, it's on Huffington Post and on Her it will be on Heritage's page if it's not already. And it's beautifully written. And Thank at you. the end of it, you say, "Well, what is my goal? I'm not sure. I'll figure that out when I'm done." Yeah. Um, so then, what, like, what really did prompt this? Like, how did you? It was a bunch of little things. It's feeling like I, it's feeling disconnected as a human being. It's I can't have the conversations that I want to have about the pulse shooting on Facebook with really pro gun people. Cause all I want to do as a human being and a writer is say how, what, how, like, why do you feel that way? Tell me, you know, tell me about why you think that way or feel that way. Not, not so I can combat you or judge you, but I want to know why you are so pro gun, why you are so afraid of regulation for gun control, why you think more guns or are an answer 
if you are voting for Donald Trump because you feel that he's going to make America great again, why do you feel America is not great right now? I can't have those conversations with people who have different ideas than I do as fully on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And we are so defensive and we hide behind a screen. I can't. I'm not really connecting with people as fully as I want to. And the same thing with dating. I'm tired of getting ghosted. I'm tired of guys swiping on my face and then not reading my profile that says I don't want kids. You know, like it's just it feels so false and I'm tired of it. Well, then here's a follow up. In addition to then not engaging on Facebook or through a dating app, do you plan then to engage some of these people who you might have these conversations with? in person or on the phone. A lot of them are not people that I, that are in my daily life anyway. So it's not like I want to pick up the phone and call the cousin I haven't seen in five years necessarily. It's just that I don't want to be so sad by what I see and feeling helpless at not being able to have that conversation. Like it, it sticks with me when I go on Facebook and I see things that I don't like and I can't, don't feel like I can really do anything about them on Facebook. I just don't, I don't want to see that aspect of it. I'd rather be more present with the people in front of me so that I can be attuned to, oh, they believe something differently than I do. Let me ask them about it without judgment versus jumping to defense or jumping to throwing my opinion at them. Like, I just want to be more focused on what's happening in my life. And I feel like all of this distraction is just taking me from away from being present. Do you have any expectations as to like what your takeaways might be at the end of this? I have, I don't know. I have, I expect that I'm going to feel some more or a different type of loneliness. I expect that I'm going to maybe feel like I'm... What is that fear of missing out? The FOMO... Th- I hate those stupid acronyms. But I have a feeling there might be some of that because I get... I also get a lot of my news and a lot of just the news of friends happening on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not that worried about it. Like, I've got some... I'm going to Rhode Island and I'm going to Spain and I'm turning 35 and I've got lots of great work things that I need to do. I'm sort of just more excited to really be present and focus on them. I mean, it's only recently that, like, the news of Friends became, like, such a thing that we needed to get it through Facebook. Like, the news of the Friends that really matter most to you in your life, right. I feel like you're gonna get because they're your friends and they're in your yeah, life. And, and, like, of course, yeah, you want to hear certain things happening in other people's lives, but, like, we don't need to know everything. And I think if we don't, and I think also if we don't have Facebook telling us what's going on in people's lives, we'll be a little bit more likely to pick up the phone and call them. You know, like I do still talk to friends on the phone and I have a feeling like if I'm wondering, oh, what's Joe up to and I can't look on Facebook to find out, I'm going to call him. You know, like I have a friend who just lost his brother. I wrote him a, a handwritten card and sent it to him. He responded to me on Facebook, which I don't check my messenger thing. And so, like, I still haven't even talked to him because he messaged me on Facebook and I don't I don't message on Facebook. Like, I'm going to be thinking about him. So I'll probably call him. I'll call my friend Tom in California. I'll call my friend Lily. I'll call. I talk to my friend Lindsay almost every week. Like, I'll call these people or I'll text them because I'm going to still want to keep in touch with them. But it will be more intimate. And I think a little bit more, you know, connected. That's the hope anyway. Totally. That's great. So, and also I'm excited that the one goal that I do have is that I've been thinking a lot about technology in general with relationships. And so I think we're going to start our next season in September with a couple of different things about how technology affects specifically romantic relationships. There's an author who um, went through a breakup and then just sort of tracked his romance on Yelp via reviews because of of all the places they went to together. Um, I want to get an owner of a dating app on, a founder on. There's a lot of fun stuff coming up. So I think it'll give me a lot more insight towards, you know, the end of this season as to how other people function with and without technology in relationships. So I'm excited about that. Excellent. Yeah. So before we take a break, um, I also want to mention other cool things that we've got coming up in this season. 
Um, we want to let you know about some of the other awesome guests we have. So next week, pastry chef Ron Ben Israel joins, and he's going to share how he basically invented these stunning sugar flowers that cascade down his cakes. He makes cakes for like... And he's been on Martha Stewart a billion times. A lot of his uh, wedding cakes go to high-end hotels in New York, and they are just breathtaking. So we're going to talk to him about uh, those sugar flowers, what he's seeing happening in the gay wedding industry right now in New York City, uh, maybe his thoughts after Pulse Orlando, and how dating in the United States is different than dating in his native Tel Aviv. On July 11th, we've got the director and an actor from The Living Lotus Company's off-Broadway production of Phoenix Rising coming into the studio. I'm very excited about the show. It starts this weekend. Uh, LivingLotusProject.org, I believe it is. I will put it on our website. Um, basically, it's a collection of stories of women talking about sexual abuse that has happened in their past. Their pasts presented theatrically. So we're going to talk to those women about using art to process through sexual abuse. And then on July 18th, we've got hypnotherapist Iris Higgins in. She's going to walk us through her work coaching women on... What, what I hope event? she puts me under. She, I want her to put me under. It's more like guided meditation than than, hip, than hypnotism. So it's uh, hypnotherapy. Okay. I've done it with her, and it's incredible. Really? It's like very... Yeah, she's... I've learned a lot of really good shit with like both the small and the big things with her. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, so I just outed myself that I work with her. Um, she's great. So she's got a website called the Goldilocks Project, and um, which coaches specifically women on how to access their inner, connected, genuine selves. So she's coming on on July 18th. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. So please check out lovebitesradio.com. Send us topics you want us to discuss in the future or people you want us to have on. And um, though I will not be responding, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at Love Bites Radio, and we will be right back. Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing is a celebration of good food and beverages in the newly restored Barn Loft event venue at Nettle Meadow Farm in Thurman, New York. On Saturday, June 18th, come sample and savor, then buy your favorite cheeses and beverages to take home. Nettle Meadow cheeses have been praised highly in national media and have won prestigious awards from the American Cheese Society. Taste samples of goat and sheep cheeses paired with an array of local regional wines, beers, and ciders. You'll never forget your first sample of rich, creamy Kunick, Nettle Meadows' trademark cheese. In Esquire, our very own Ann Saxelby said, Kunick, it may very well be the sexiest cheese in the USA. Nettle Meadow Farm is a goat and sheep dairy and cheese company in Thurman, New York, just below Crane Mountain in the Adirondacks between Gore Mountain, North Creek, and Warrensburg. It's owned and operated by Lorraine Limbiase and Sheila Flanagan. Both have a great love of animals, artisan cheese, and the unique challenges of farm life. Nettle Meadow Farm was originally founded in 1990, and it's the home of over 300 goats, dozens of sheep, and a variety of farm sanctuary animals. Again, the Cheese and Spirits pairing is Saturday, June 18th. For more information and tickets, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. Ina Yaloff is a New York City author whose books include Life and Death, The Story of a Hospital, What It Means to be Jewish, How I Write, and What Happy Women Know. 
Her articles have appeared in numerous publications, including GQ, Harper's Bazaar, and New York Magazine. And her most recent book, Food and the City, was just released on May 31st by Putnam Sons. You can find her books on Amazon and more at www.inayaloff.com, as well as on our website. Welcome to the show, Ina. So happy to be here. Hi. Uh, Jumping straight to the back of your book, you have a section titled Kitchen Brigade, where you break down the hierarchy of cooks and chefs in the kitchen and a glossary detailing terms like mise en place and koshering the kitchen and omakasa? Omakaze. Omakaze. See? I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> what were, what was your understanding of such things before working on the book? Were you an idiot like me or what? <laughs> I, I was an idiot like you. Um, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. Thank you. Um, because I was not a food writer. And so... Right up to your mouth, please. Okay. Yeah, right up to your mouth. Thank you. Okay. I was not a food writer. Um, so... I had to start at the beginning like everybody else, and what I knew basically was zip. Um, I knew how to say, where's the can opener, if I was <laughs> making something. Um, what I knew about restaurants was what I saw in front of restaurants, and what I could kind of look through those portholes of behind the swinging doors. Sometimes you'd see a towel flying, sometimes a little tote going by. Other than that, I knew nothing. And so why did this subject reach out to you? It's very interesting. Um, I came back to New York. I had been living in Vermont for years. And I came back to New York, and I was looking around to see, essentially, what was going on in the city. This is about four or five years ago. And it occurred to me that in this city, everybody is eating. And they're not only eating food. They're talking about eating food. They're writing about eating food. They're photographing eating food. They're sharing eating food. And it just was something that I was interested in because I knew how little I knew about it. And I was just really happy to try to tackle something that I knew nothing about. It's, it's, that's fun for me. So in the introduction, you say that you don't have like these big rock star chefs in the book, but I sort of want to call you out on that. You definitely have a couple. You've got like Dominique Ansel. You've got the guys from the Bettany. You've got Ed Schoenfeld, who's been a restaurateur forever. One of the most, you know, well-known restaurateurs in New York City. Uh, Gaia Oliveira, who has since you probably started writing, gotten a lot of accolades. She's the pastry chef for Danielle. Um, So what was it about the 53 people I think I counted in the book um, that compelled you? There is a broad range of people who are, you know, lesser known to being rather famous. But can you give us an example of an introduction to somebody new that felt like kismet? Or how did you find these people? Okay, various different ways. I started out when I decided that food was what I was going to be writing about. I started out by laying the book out with different things like um, line cook, chefs, things that everybody knows about. And one day I was coming off the subway, and I smelled grilled onions. And I was following my nose coming up. And it took me directly to what looked like a huge line. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what's going on? It's like al fresco dining. Half the people are sitting outside eating on a, um, a shelf or a bench. And it turned out to be the halal guys. So I'm, I, I, I'm naturally curious about that. And I was wondering to myself, you know, what do I know about these guys? And maybe this, he'll talk to me. So I called up the owner of the halal guys, and I asked him if he would meet with me and if I could interview him. And basically, that's the kind of thing that, that just happened. So um, it's true. 
people know Dominic Ansel. Yes, I knew who he was. Eddie Schoenfeld, there would be no way for me to really know anything about him until I learned about him from Sylvia Weinstock. And that's the other thing. One person told me about another person told me another person. And that's how I got to Gaia Oliveira, which was one of the most exciting um, interviews in the book as far as I'm concerned. Certainly the most emotionally touching. I think it's amazing that this seems sort of random and came as like uh, from your passion to learn something new and from from this challenge of doing something you don't know. There's a lot of similar books on the market right now from an insider's perspective, people who've worked within hospitality in some form, writing memoirs and novels and such. And I'm curious what you think you've contributed the most as an outsider. Well, I think coming into something like that, first of all, the book is an oral history. So what that means is I come in with um, a planned... A number of questions, and I bring a tape recorder, and I interview the person, and they tell the story. So um, what I learned as an outsider, or why coming in as an outsider worked for me, was because I put myself in the, 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 the reader's mind, and what I wanted to know, I had to assume my reader wanted to know. Like I mentioned before, why would I know about Eddie Schoenfeld, who was is the, one of the number one Chinese restaurant um, starters. He, start, he owns Red Farm now, but I mean, he's just opened up a thousand restaurants and uh, Chinese restaurants. That's the kind of thing that I, I would not have known about. But when I met him and I started to talk to him and I researched him, I asked him things that were interesting to me. And he came up with answers that were going to be interesting to my reader. So I just put myself as an outsider, I put myself in the stead of the reader. And I think sometimes that works better. Now, I love the format of these sort of first-person narratives, and uh, listeners, Ina and I have actually met off the show, and we have a very similar passion for telling the insider, sorry, not the insider story, but the story from the person's perspective. And it's actually funny, I love this book because, like, you know, I mentioned Gaia and Dominique and Ed Schoen, felt like I've worked with them, and so it's like I'm no longer the outsider perspective, which is why I found the book very, uh, really interesting from my perspective as a writer. Uh, to sort of get the insider first-person narrative from a sort of outsider's perspective that I used to be only six years ago. So it's a really fascinating read, I think, for people in the food world as well as people completely not in the food world. Um, So speaking from somebody who does this already, I'm really curious as to what the relationship was like between you and these 53 people because you do write in the first-person uh, for the non-American people you work with, there is their cadence, their little bit of off, you know, putting way of not knowing the right verbiage, you know, term of a verb or something like that. And it's really beautiful to read from from that angle. So what were the relationships like with these people when you went in with a recorder? How how much did they, uh, influ- did they actually influence the way the style of each piece came out? And did you give them a chance to read it before you brought it to you know, your agent? Was there any part of that, that, that relationship that was sort of a back and forth after your interview? Okay, that's two, two questions. That's like five questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so the first one was the relationship with the people. Um, that's what I do well. I'm, I, you know, I, everybody has their strong point. I can talk to just about anybody. I, I go in a little nervous in the beginning, but then I'm fine. So I research them, and I, I, I know what I'm walking in with. They don't know what I'm coming in with. So um, Luisa Fernandez, for example, she's from Portugal. She was amazing. This is a woman who now is the executive chef at Robert. She's so badass. <clears throat> she was. She was. A, she was a parachuting nurse. She was in Rwanda. Wow. She wanted to do everything. She opened. She had a great restaurant in Portugal, 
All she wanted was a dream to come to America. And she came to America. When she's in America, all she wants is to open up a restaurant. She opens a restaurant. She's at uh, Park Blue or Blue Park, mm-hmm. I don't remember. The restaurant closed because of the wrecking ball, which has happened to a few people. And she then opened up, and then she got the job at Robert. So she's an American. She's in New York. She's a chef. She and could she's barely, a woman, too. And which, she's a woman, yes. Yeah, which is another another aspect that of her getting any any executive chef position for a woman is just like even right. even more underdog of you. So I went in to um, talk to her at Robert and she has a very thick accent and she feels like when I called her for the, the interview, she said, you know, you're not going to be able to understand me. Um, I said, don't worry, I'll understand you and I will make whatever we do sound right. And and so in answer to your second question, Nobody was allowed to see anything. And, you know, that takes a tremendous amount of trust Mm. from people because I'm coming in there with a I'm coming in there with a um, with with questions and they are answering everything that I'm asking them. I do let them not. uh, I say don't sign the release form until after the interview. And if there's anything you've said, oh, that's very smart that you don't want in there. We're going to write that on your release form. That's very smart. Did anybody feel uncomfortable after that process with you and not sign? Not only did nobody feel uncomfortable, which is shocking to me, but the fact that everybody said yes, that I asked except one person, everybody. Yeah. I did in 75 interviews. And uh, my, my criteria for what goes in the book, it had to be entertaining, it had or informative or interesting or all of the above, was, and they all are. Was there anyone, based on what you had written, that you thought might be uncomfortable? Um, I don't think so, because because I, I probably wouldn't have asked them sure. to, to do it if I thought they would be uncomfortable. So I'm curious about you and how working on this book affected you and how it changed your relationship with food and your thoughts on food and dining out and purchasing food at home. What What's changed for the most for you as pertains to your relationship with food since finishing the book? Everything. <laughs> um, first of all, I no longer go to a supermarket. I only shop in small, small shops. All you have to do is hear Tony Schatz, who is Schatzy the Butcher, talk about the difference between fresh cut meat and meat that you get, at, uh, not at over-the-counter, but wrapped packaged meat in a supermarket to know that that's not the kind of meat that I personally want. Um, the, as, I'm getting scared. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't get scared. But, I mean, he, he, he in fact, he, he talks about organic meats. He, he taught me a lot, and that went for everybody. I, was, I felt so lucky to have these people teach me what to do and what to look at. So I now go into a restaurant and I see everything through the lens of the waiter because I have a waiter in my book and through the lens of the chefs and the line cooks. The line cooks were absolutely shocking to me what they go through in order to become a chef. And they don't, not all of them want to become a chef. They have a passion that's just unlike anything I've ever seen in any other field. And, mm-hmm. and I think we know that. So since we're a relationship show, you have a couple of couples in the book. I think you've got four or five couples in the book. Did you learn anything unique about uh, relationships and successful business partnerships and marriage from the couples that you interviewed together who, who get their own stories most of the time? Yes. Well, there were three, there's three couples, and I titled the, the um, section that they're in pairings because I, when I tried to write about the introduction to that, the only word that kept coming up was synergy. And synergy um, means that 
the whole is greater than the sum of the two parts. So I went to Levain Bakery. Everybody knows about the Levain Bakery cookies, and I wanted to know how did they do it and why did they do it and where did the cookie come from. And without telling the whole story, which I won't do, these two women were iron, um, what do they call it, Iron Man triathletes. Who, Whoa. Yeah. Who, who designed this cookie to have something to eat while they were riding their bicycles. They could stick it in their bike shirt. So how do I pick which of the mm-hmm. two? They've been together for 30 years in business. You can't. Or, for example, the Bettany Boys. Um, I interviewed Bryce Schumann, who was the chef, and that was all I was going to do. And he said, you cannot walk out of here without talking to my partner, Eamon Rocky. Eamon Rocky was so fascinating. He's also one of the most fascinating um, interviews in the book. He talks about um, the Madeline and, mm-hmm. and his grandfather. And so um, they, these, they just went together naturally. But what did, what did they teach you about successful relationships with these three, with these three pairings in the book? It, the, the one word is compromise. Compromise. Yeah. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. That's a really good word. Um, so our last question about the book, your, in the introduction, you also say that your husband, your late husband, got you into food. That before him and his family, you didn't really, food was not as culturally a part of your life. And he passed away several years ago. What do you most think that he would enjoy about this book? Or what would you most want him to experience or be proud of? I think he would have most enjoyed two things. One is there are a lot of iconic stories. He was a real New Yorker. He loved a good egg cream. We have mm-hmm. Fox's, we have David Fox from Fox's You Bet tells the story of the egg cream. Um, he would have loved to hear about the story about Gray's, not Gray's papaya, papaya king. Peter Luger was his favorite story. We have Amy Rubin, I mean, his favorite restaurant. We have Amy Rubinstein in there. So he would have loved the iconic stories. He also would have been thrilled because it was three years of my life that I stayed out of department stores. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's, yeah. Talking about like giving certain things up from, well, I'm sure your grocery bills though have gone up though. That's the problem. Absolutely. The more you get into food, like nothing could not be organic that you buy anymore. And yeah, those, those butcher shops are not, you know, that's there's right. a reason why people shop in grocery stores. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Um, before we let you go, we started the show each sharing a place that we want to check out this summer, a restaurant, um, I guess it can be someplace that you've gone to before, as Ben has said, or is there someplace you have not gone to, especially now that you're in this world that you're very excited to go to this summer? I, I'm, I am not only in this world, but I am actually in this restaurant that I've always wanted to go to, Yay. which is Roberta's. Yay. I am sitting here smelling the pizza. It is fantastic. I read in 2011, Sam Sifton talked about it, called it one of the most extraordinary restaurants in the country. And I can't wait to go out and have a piece of pizza and agree oh, with Oh, lovely. Excellent. We helped you achieve your goal. That just is making me smile like an I, idiot. I'm worthy of something. <laughs> my life achieved something in my life. Your heritage radio is just the best. Well, Ina, thank you so much for my coming pleasure. on the show. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Everybody, please run and get Food and the City. It is on sale now. More at inayaloff.com and on our website. Ben, you look like you want to say something? 
No? No, just I was very, just... You looked very serious and studious and like you were thinking about something. I'm th- I have a lot of thoughts that are too dark to say on the... Uh, but we're going to go talk about, about dreams now since you're, <laughs> <laughs> since you're a dream analyst. Talk about, oh dreams and why you would want to be hypnotized. So, a, so sorry, guys. You don't get to listen to that We're going to need a big bottle show. of wine. Um, but we are going to be back next week. That is our show for today. Next week, we've got Ron Ben Israel on the show. Until then, thanks to our engineer, Pierre. He is our new favorite person in the world. We love him. Our theme song is Give Love by Josh Dion. And we are Jack Winner Pozo and Ben Rosenblatt. We'll be back at the same time next week here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Later. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 